Do you employ or pay workers in other countries? Even if you don't yet, you may have to soon. Now that remote work is the norm, employees have more freedom than ever to move around. And if you want to keep your best people, you have to stay flexible. That's why remote makes it easy for companies of all sizes to employ global teams. They take care of international payroll, benefits, taxes, and local compliance, so you can focus less on paperwork and more on growing your business. Remote helps you onboard full-time employees or contractors in countries all over the world in minutes on its simple, easy-to-use platform. Even better, Remote lets you rest easy by providing the most comprehensive intellectual property protections and data security in the industry. They own full local legal entities in all their covered countries, guaranteeing that you never have to deal with a third party ever. To save you money, Remote never charges any fees or salary percentages. You get access to everything that Remote offers, from payroll to compliance to benefits management, for one low flat rate. No hidden fees, no surprises, ever. Just the best global employment solution in the business. Best of all, podcast listeners get an even bigger discount. Get your first employee free for 12 months and two months free for any additional employee onboarded during their first year. Just visit remote.com forward slash B2B better and use the promo code better. See why global companies like GitLab trust Remote to manage and pay their international teams. Whether you want to hire one person or 100, Remote makes it easy. Visit remote.com forward slash B2B better and use the promo code better to get started. Hello and welcome to B2B Better, the only podcast focused on helping early stage marketing teams do better than boring work. My name is Jason Bradwell and every week I sit down with whip smart marketing leaders to talk about what it takes to build a modern day strategy that delivers actual business results, not vanity metrics. Each episode is packed to the rafters with actionable insights and takeaways that you can put into practice today. Let me help you be better than boring. Here we go. Today on B2B Better, I'm very excited to be joined by Breezy Biumon, who is Head of Growth at Correlated. How are you doing, Breezy? Good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. You're coming at me very early in the morning. Your time, 7 a.m. It's a much more acceptable 3 p.m. where I'm at, so I really appreciate you uh, you jumping on at that time. Oh, yeah, of course. Happy to do it. Tell me a little bit about you and your current role at Correlated. Yeah, so I'm the, the head of growth and marketing at Correlated, um, and uh, Correlated is a customer expansion platform for uh, B2B software companies. So basically what we do is we help to tie together um, your product usage data with your traditional sales data, like things in your CRM, uh, to help you take action based on how people are, are actually using your product to close more expansion revenue. And you're a fairly recent hire at Correlated, if, if I understand correctly. You've been there less than a year. How's it all going? It's going well, yeah. So I joined the team pretty early. Um, we've, we've since doubled um, and hiring, hiring even more. So it's been an exciting ride. Um, you know, coming into an early stage company, especially on the growth and marketing side, you always hope that you know, we have a strong product and there's a fit for it in the market. And, and uh, so far we have had awesome success with that. So hopefully that continues. That, that's great to hear. And I think your, your experience at Correlated, the timing that you've joined Correlated, um, cues us up really nicely for the topic of today's conversation, which is about you know, finding where your customers are spending their time and devising a strategy to, to speak to them where they're at. So let's start at the most basic question I can possibly ask you. you know, how can marketers research where their customers are spending time when they're in a cold start situation, much like you've been at Correlated, um, where, where you're, uh, you're building a strategy from scratch? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think most of this starts from a hunch that you or that someone on your team has. So I think, first of all, just, you know, asking yourself, asking your teammates and saying, okay, where do you think people are spending their time? Um, but then also asking your customers or, or could be, would be customers where they are spending their time and where they're doing their research. Um, so I think that's the best way to get to it. It's different for different industries and for different personas in different industries, but there are so many different online Slack communities, social media channels, and all these different places that people are doing their research. So um, just being there is a good way to <laughs> get in front of them. It's much easier, I think, in you know 2021. You know, we were talking a little bit before um, we started recording about kind of trade shows and events. And coming from the B two B enterprise space myself, you know, they have always been the the kind of spine of most marketing strategies across companies across across a sector you know can you afford a big booth at one of these events and if you can that's how you're going to get eyeballs but in a digital age it's it's relatively easy much certainly much easier than it was 10 15 20 years ago to do your own research desk research and find out where your your customers are spending their time would you agree yeah i would agree i would say it's it's you know Back when I was doing a bunch of events, what I would do is ask for the attendee list and then I would previous attendee list and I'd create this like V lookup so I could easily sift through. Um, in the digital age, it's easier to, you know, immediately be where your prospects are, but it's not easier to be relevant, helpful, speaking in the right ways and doing, you know, the the strategy that you need to do in those platforms. So I'd say it's easier to be where they are, but it's not easier to execute. <laughs> Harder to, to stand out from all the noise, right? Because when the, the barriers of entry are lowered, it means, that, it means that everyone can get in. And to your point about strategy, let's talk a little bit about that. When you've identified a new channel, be it through your own hunch, be it through speaking to your customers, you know, what's, what's the breezy approach to beginning to decide you know, the right strategy um, for, for that channel? Yeah, I think just starting out with listening to what's happening there. So being involved um, and, and seeing what are people talking about, what questions are they asking, and how can you fit yourself into what's already existing there? So in a lot of these communities and, and, and social media channels, um, people are directly asking the problems that they're having and saying, hey, does anybody have a template for this? Or, or what's your strategy for doing this? Or how are you thinking about PQLs and all these different topics, right? And you can just use that to then create your content based off of that. And so then, you know, that, that drives your content strategy. And then you kind of spit that content right back out where people are directly asking for it. Um, so I think just getting started, you, you want to listen, not for long, but just start by listening um, and then being helpful. <laughs> like it's not about just jumping into the conversation when someone talks about something that's related to what you do and giving them a pitch. That's absolutely not what you want to be doing here. Um, if there's a if there's a relation there, then sure you can offer to get on get on a call with them and actually be helpful and not just pitch them. Um, but otherwise, it's a great way to figure out okay what are the problems that people are facing and how can we be that helpful resource to solve those problems. That's that's a really great point, and it's something that you know I, I try to deploy as a content creator myself. You know, I'm a member of the DGMG Dave Gerhardt um, B2B Marketing Facebook group. And in there, I find so many of the problems that end up becoming the kind of content that I create across this podcast and across my newsletter. 
And I think it's got to be, as a marketer, you've got to be really mindful around the almost, you know, they could be explicit, but often implicit rules of engagement around that channel. If you are going into Dave Gerhard's group and you start giving that sales pitch, even if you start, you know, um, uh, you know, saying, here's my newsletter, please check it out. If it's out of context, you know, one day is probably going to kick you out, but also you're just going to put your put your target audience off you. And brands have got to adopt that same mentality, familiarize yourself with the context and the implicit, explicit rules um, of engagement in those channels, would you say? Yeah, I think one of the things you're hitting on too is, is not just how to be uh, a helpful resource and like what to create and, and talk about in that, but how to actually talk about it. So that's another thing is, is how are people communicating? Is it, you know, very buttoned up and they're using, you know, perfect grammar and capitalization? Are they using emojis in there? How are they communicating? And, and you want to mirror that as well. So you don't want to come off as super businessy and and buttoned up if that's not the context of the conversation. So I think just, just, taking notes of like what's happening around you, the context clues um, of how people are communicating, how you can make what you're saying fun and engaging, and then also using what they're talking about to actually you know, create that helpful content. So I think both sides of that are, are, are super important because otherwise you, you sort of like stick out as a sore thumb, sore thumb in there. Absolutely. You're talking a little bit about some of the kind of common problems that marketers make when activating a new channel. Let's dive into that a little bit further. You know, if you're looking at something like a Facebook group or, or LinkedIn or Slack or whatever as, okay, this is the place where my target buyers are spending their time, where they're engaging, and I think I can offer value. You know, what are some of the things that, that marketers should be aware of um, in terms of making mistakes or falling into common pitfalls around doing that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just about making it fun. If everyone in the B2B world feels like we have to, not everyone, I guess the the previous thought in the B2B world was that we had to be very professional and buttoned up and use these like big words that, you know, describe what we do. And yes, do I know that lingo? Absolutely. But if I use that lingo, there might be a subset of folks that I'm like, you know, not including in the conversation because they don't know what I'm talking about using it. So first of all, you know, speaking in a way that's playful and engaging and fun. Um, but then, you know, also having that, that conversation that's relevant to what's going on. (laughs) I think both of those are really good. Um, and there's so many different platforms and places to be having these conversations. So you started touching on a few of them. It's like Facebook groups, LinkedIn, there's Quora, there's Reddit. There are, I don't even know how many Slack communities at this point. There is a Slack community probably about Slack communities. <laughs> it's like, there's so many different uh, uh, niche places to be talking about different topics um, <laughs> and so many so many ways to, to get in front of folks. So, you know, each time you want to, try a new one. And, and first of all, I think the first step here is only try one <laughs> to start. And once you've mastered it and you have the time and resources to move to the next, move to the next one. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a big thing. People like try to stretch themselves. Then they hear, okay, we should be doing, we should be on LinkedIn, Facebook and this, and they just like do them all in a, in a crappy way. So um, focus your attention and then spread out slowly from there is, is, is a big tip I'd have as well. You were talking a little bit earlier about these context cues. 
And I want to talk about another kind of cue, which is, you know, how do you, what are the kind of signals that you're looking for within a channel that this is a place that we need to invest our time? Because, you know, you talk about just focusing on on one channel to start with, which is totally my my ethos as well. I think, you know, I've certainly been in situations where I've tried to be everywhere all the time and it's all just fallen flat on its face. So, you know, what are the kind of signals that you're looking for as, as a growth marketer that, you know, this is somewhere we need to at least you know, focus our time and energy for X period of time to see if we can get some juice out of it. Yeah. I mean, at the simplest level, look around and see are, are the titles of the people who your, your ideal buyers are, are they there? <laughs> <laughs> um, look at their titles, look at their companies. Um, first of all, are they there? And then second of all, are they actively there? Are they participating? Um, I think if, if you check those, then it's, probably worth an experiment at the very least. Yeah. And, you know, this is difficult to say because we're talking quite broad strokes here, but what does a typical, you know, can you walk me through an experiment that perhaps you've run through in your time, either a correlated or a previous position um, where you've tried to validate that channel as somewhere where you do want to invest serious time and energy and budget into what, and what did that experiment look like? Yeah, I can actually talk about, we we ran two at the same time. We had a large team, so we were able to do it this way. Um, and we invested both in LinkedIn and Quora. Um, and Quora was a new channel um, for the company. LinkedIn, we'd been doing some work there. Uh, but by doing two at the same time, we were really able to see kind of what was working and what wasn't working. Um, and so the way we went about it was running different types of campaigns on each of these channels. So one for Quora is more text-based because text would sort of blend in with what it looked like there. Um, whereas on LinkedIn, it was um, more image-based because the images pop out on LinkedIn. So it was like the two different channels and, and what we wanted to test there. Um, and we did try a bunch of different variations over time. Um, and although our some of our buyers were on Quora, we ended up learning that it, they were a little bit lower level folks than what we would like to, to than who to want to talk to. Um, so for us, we ended up kind of nixing that channel. So that was a way for us to sort of test it out. Yes, those people were there, but maybe they weren't as actively there as we thought they might be. And therefore, okay, great, we tried it. Um, LinkedIn, on the other hand, we tested it out over there and we were able to find, okay, there's there's something to be had here. We are starting to have some um, good conversations and some conversions onto our website as well. Um, and then, uh, at that point, that's when you can kind of get more nitty gritty into the content of what you're doing. So what content is performing better there? Um, so we, we validated the channel, like check mark. Now what content is working well? And we played around with some more playful and fun content. We tried, you know, what would be more traditional business where you, you know, you like put the picture of the ebook on, <laughs> on there and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, people responded better to when the language was just a little bit more friendly, but also to when the language was really pointed. So we would say like, you know, hey, this exact title. Um, and either it was an aspirational title. And so you'd say like, hey, you know, chief marketing officers, like read this. Um, and you might direct it towards a group that you know is are not CMOs, but they're aspiring to be a CMO. So that was one way that it would work or doing it directly to the title. Um, so um, yeah, so, you know, testing out what types of content was working and then also the messaging around those different content types um, 
So I think that's one way to sort of like run it on the campaign level. Um, but I think today one of, you know, although there are these campaigns that are running, sort of the bigger piece of this is, is about community and organic and um, being involved in the conversation. So it's not just about putting out content, it's about engaging with other people's content, commenting on that um, and being a resource, not just who's putting things out into the world, but also who's engaging with what's already there. Yeah, that is a common pitfall of, of B2B brands of old is acting as the megaphone, you know, giving the monologue as opposed to trying to engage in, in the dialogue. Um, and I'm sure we could spin off and do a whole new episode on community and organic and, and things of that nature. I'd certainly love to do that at some point in the future. Um, do you feel like there are any channels that B2B marketers generally are underutilizing? Should we be looking at TikTok? <laughs> TikTok is definitely one. Um, I think that's a fun one. Although I, I do still think it, it definitely skews towards a younger crowd. So maybe if you're more of like a product-led growth company who, um, who, you know, can appeal to a wider range of titles, that might be a better one for you. So um, if, if a, a business development rep or a, an AE or something like that could, could immediately jump in and benefit from uh, our products. So, you know, companies like Lavender, Dooley or others, uh, that could probably be a good channel for them. Um, I think, uh, let's see, Slack communities. I actually think that's super underutilized. That is a huge place. Like everyone joined a Slack community over the last two years because the world got weird and we were all disconnected and we wanted to find some sense of community and conversation. And, and a lot of people join these Slack communities and um, aren't really realizing that this is also a great place to do marketing. So I'd say that's a, that's a huge one right now. Slack's great because most people are already using it or they've at least got the app installed on their phone and you can niche down so far on, on, on Slack. In fact, you know, that's what you really need to do if you want to find success on it. I think as a B2B brand, you can go broad stroke and say, right, well, I'm going to launch the B2B marketing Slack group. But I mean, you know, that it's just another big Slack group where there's just a lot of random stuff being thrown in there. You know, if you're working in industrial drilling, right, uh, that is a very specific topic that there are, I'm sure, a, a host of experts looking to communicate with their community around. So the power, from my experience of doing Slack, comes in, in niching down, would you say? Yeah, and I, I think it goes back to our, our conversation around events as well. Like everyone wants to do these really large events, um, but but really the most successful ones are sort of these smaller events where people are, in my opinion, where people are able to uh, engage in, and have that one-on-one -on -one conversation. So definitely, I think, you know, there's a place for these larger communities for that bring together multiple groups of people, but there's absolutely also a place for sort of these smaller niche communities where you can really dive into a specific topic and, and get deep with others who are who are living and breathing the same things that you're living and breathing every single day. Definitely. I want to throw a situation at you that I'm sure most marketers listening to this podcast will have been in where you get an email from the CEO saying, Hey, we should try X. You know, maybe they're saying, Oh, my kids were on TikTok. We should maybe launch a TikTok. Can you get on that? What is your approach to tackling an executive who wants to invest in a channel where you see as a marketer, little opportunity? Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, think of, think of it as if you might be wrong. So go into it open-minded, um, and then go explore it. So like not deep dive, cause 
okay, here's the thing. I think there's a difference between an idea coming across the table and a CEO who tosses like 40 ideas per day at the across the table. At you. Yeah. <laughs> so let's assume that it's a little bit higher level than just one of the 40 ideas that comes across the table. Yeah. Um, but in that case, I would actually just go and see like, is there, even though my hunch is no, let's check it out. Like, is there anything there? If there's like even a sliver of it, and you learn that it's super important to the executive, I would test it. I'd like it everything in marketing, let the data prove it. So if 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 it's a, you know, if it's something that someone really, really wants to do, then I'm happy to give something a, a test on a low level and we can see what works there. Um, but otherwise, if if you know for sure that it's really something that's not going to convert, I mean. I would just, I would probably, if I have data on it, come to the table with data on why it hasn't worked in the past time that I've run it. Um, or, you know, here are, here's what I think A, B, and C about why it might not be the best channel. Did you find something different? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So the same way that you do objection handling for all of the other many ideas of, of people around your company who believe that marketing is very easy. <laughs> Absolutely. Be respectful. Let the numbers talk. Let the data talk um, to make your argument. And in my, you know, certain CEOs, in my experience, they'll throw an idea across the table at you, and then 24 hours later, will have forgotten they even they even said it. So sometimes yeah. even just letting the idea, you know, yeah, yeah, I'll look into that. Yeah, no problem. And go ahead and do that research. But if they never chase up again within the next 48 hours, but by the end of the week, you know, maybe you can, maybe you can let it lie. Um, that's yeah, not my definitely. official recommendation. <laughs> so ignoring your CEO, <laughs> no, definitely. you know what I mean? I mean yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I've, I've, I've had some of those uh, types of people in the past. I'm lucky now to work for a CEO who gets marketing as that the, the conversation's been on, on a lot of social platforms. You have to work for a CEO who gets marketing. Um, so luckily I am now in a place where that is the case, but I know there are so many people out there who are not in that case. I totally agree with you. Letting it simmer or adding it to the to-do the to -do list. Yeah. Um, but, you know, sometimes going into it thinking, okay, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong mm. is a good way to go about it because then, you know, as long as your culture allows for you to have that open conversation, you know, maybe there is an opportunity there. <laughs> We're not a hundred percent sure yet until we've tried it. Absolutely. Two more questions for you, Breezy. What do you think is going to be the biggest change in how B2B companies market themselves over the next five years? Um, I think we have a lot to learn from B2C. So I think it will become uh, much more playful. I think that it will become much more casual. I think people will start to learn that, uh, you know, marketing and branding and all these communications that we have with different companies doesn't need to be so buttoned up. I think some of the, the more leading marketers have already learned this today, but I think this will sort of come as a big wave for the, hopefully for the rest of the folks to, to market on a human level rather than on a company level. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think it's a scale, right? There are some companies you know, in the SaaS ecosystem in particular, where that makes sense to really start pushing now, if you, if you haven't done so already, you're falling behind. But then, you know, coming from my side of the table, which is more kind of buttoned up enterprise, it will happen, but it's probably going to be a much more gradual process to, to get the sector there um, as some of the senior execs age out of the industry. But inevitably, as you say, it, it's going to go down that way. Um, certainly my opinion as well. Final question for you, Breezy, because I know you've got to jump. Who should I interview next on B2B Better? 
Ooh, there are so many folks. Um, have you done Udi from Gong yet? Of course, he's a classic. I've um, never spoken to Udi, no, but I've had a couple of his interviews and I would love to have Mobi to be better. Oh, there you go. And and one other, you're part of Dave's uh, marketing group. Get him on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you know Dave? Do you know Dave personally? <laughs> I've, uh, I've interacted with him a couple of times, but I don't know him as well as I know a few others in the space. Okay. I'll, uh, I may have to hit you up for, uh, for an introduction if you feel comfortable with it. But otherwise, Breezy, thank you so much for coming on to B2B Better. I really appreciated chatting with you. Yeah, likewise. Okay, good talking. Do you employ or pay workers in other countries? Even if you don't yet, you may have to soon. Now that remote work is the norm, employees have more freedom than ever to move around. And if you want to keep your best people, you have to stay flexible. That's why Remote makes it easy for companies of all sizes to employ global teams. They take care of international payroll, benefits, taxes, and local compliance, so you can focus less on paperwork and more on growing your business. Remote helps you onboard full-time employees or contractors in countries all over the world in minutes on its simple, easy-to-use platform. Even better, Remote lets you rest easy by providing the most comprehensive intellectual property protections and data security in the industry. They own full local legal entities in all their covered countries, guaranteeing that you never have to deal with a third party ever. To save you money, Remote never charges any fees or salary percentages. You get access to everything that Remote offers, from payroll to compliance to benefits management, for one low flat rate. No hidden fees, no surprises, ever. Just the best global employment solution in the business. Best of all, podcast listeners get an even bigger discount. Get your first employee free for 12 months and two months free for any additional employee onboarded during their first year. Just visit remote.com forward slash B2B better and use the promo code better. See why global companies like GitLab trust Remote to manage and pay their international teams. Whether you want to hire one person or 100, Remote makes it easy. Visit remote.com forward slash B2B better and use the promo code better to get started. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you enjoyed the interview, go ahead and subscribe to my podcast, leave a rating, a comment, a review, or just share it on social media. It'll really make my day. Every Monday morning, I send out a newsletter to B2B marketers all around the world on how to do better B2B marketing. You can sign up to that via the link that I'm going to leave in the description of this episode. Or if you need a fix of B2B marketing content goodness right now, you can head over to my website at www.jasonrbradwell.com. See you next week. This episode was sponsored by Remote.